Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was gonna happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Hey, once again, we are in the book of, guess what? Yakabas. You guys are greeking out on me. That's right. Yakabas or James. Let's see, Jacob, as we saw there, but we'll stick with James. We kind of like that name. And uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and grab our new text. Turn to somebody and say, new text. New text. New text. That's right, man. We're, we're cooking now, man. And uh, let's take a look at uh, James there. And uh, if you find Hebrews, what do you do? Move. Move is a good, always a good thing to do. Uh, hang it right there, James. All right. And uh, we finished up with the first uh, acid test. Now we're hitting number two, new territory, okay? But let's take a look at uh, what's going on here. And this is it. Verse 13, okay? Uh, when you do get to verse 13, go ahead and say moo, Joe. Moo, okay, right on. Verse, uh, chapter, are you serious? <laughs> chapter one. All right, we'll lay hands on you later in a very profound way and try to keep it Christian. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 13. Let's take a look at the context this morning and what James says. He says, now when tempted, okay, no one should say what? God is tempting me. Well, why not? Well, pff, hello, God cannot be tempted by evil, uh, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when what? It's your fault by his own evil desire. He's dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to uh, to death. Don't be deceived, okay? And so what we're seeing, once again, is the book of James is all about an acid test, is what we've been talking about. Why? Because when you take a look at the timing of the book, this is when the early church is finally going out there, being dispersed, being those witnesses for Jesus, okay? Now, just like it was, just like it is today, so it was back then. The church is flooded with not just wheat, but you got what? Tares. You got not just sheep, you got what? You got goats, okay? You got the true, you got the fake, you got the phony, you got the false, you got fake Christians going to church services. Why? Because going to a church service doesn't save you any more than sitting in a hen house makes you a chicken, right? As creepy as that is, okay? Uh, you got to be born again, okay? That, and so that's what he's doing. So James writes, we saw here uh, this book as an acid test to distinguish between the two. Now, we've already seen the first test that he throws out there okay, is the issue of trials. What do you do with trials? If you literally, truly, truly, truly walk away from Jesus, you said you were a Christian, you professed to be a Christian, but if you walked away from Jesus and said, no, I'm an atheist now, that's it, I can't stand it, uh, or I become a, uh, go into a, the occult or agnostic or whatever, the Bible says you were never saved in the first place. Uh, once again, 1 John 2 uh, clearly uh, distinguishes that, okay? But the good news we saw as a Christian, we go through trials too, you could be born again and still go through trials, okay? And we saw that the good news, the rest of the text was, once you pass the test, is you can have a continual joy and be a fantastic commercial for Jesus. And we saw the different ways that he tells us. He tells us what we need to do to maintain that joy, to maintain that positive witness. He says you can look forward to the good that's in the trial. Uh, you can let the good purpose be finished in the trial. You let God give you his good wisdom in the trial. You do not question God's character in the trial. You don't doubt his ability in the trial. And the last two times, 
words, we saw that you need to look forward to your good future in the trial. And what James does is he breaks everybody left down uh, into two categories. You got the poor Christians and you got the rich Christians, okay, is what we saw there. And what he says is, James, he pulls out the rug, the, if you will, the last excuse that people sometimes would have uh, when it comes to uh, saying, well, I can't have that constant joy because of my economic status. And for the poor, he says, are you kidding me? He says, you have no excuse. In fact, you should be excited that God put you into that position because there's a funny thing about not having a whole lot of cash. It has a way of keeping your mind on things above and not on on the world, right? And so you look forward to your eternal inheritance, okay, is what's going on there, okay? Then we saw even last time with the rich, the rich, it's an opportunity. You should be excited that God's put you in that position to see that riches can't give you joy either, okay? And then the point was, don't squander or waste your opportunity. If God's made you into a Plusios Christian, a, a person who has the ability to have a lot of wealth, you need to use that wealth for his purposes. And when you, uh, it's more blessed to give away than it is to receive, you receive joy, okay? So that was the lesson that we saw there. So the point is, true Christians, uh, whether trials, whether your economic status, there's no excuse for us to have continual joy. Why? Because not just for us to experience it, it's about us being that positive commercial for Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, now we're going to take a look at the second acid test. The first one was, how in the world do you handle uh, the trials there? Okay, the second one is we're going to see is, all right, how do you handle temptation is the point. How do you handle uh, temptation, okay? The phrase that we saw there, verse 13 says this, when what? Tempted. That's right, Bobby, tempted. You're paying attention this morning. This is awesome. No one should say when you're tempted. Anybody tempted? Uh, slightly, every single day, right? Okay, he says nobody should say God is tempting me. Now, the key word that's actually used here uh, is the, the phrase there, the word, the verbiage, no one. Okay, it's actually uh, uh, my dice, may dice in the Greek, and it literally means nobody, no one, nothing. Okay, literally let no man. Okay, let no person ever on the earth at any time, ever once, ever come out of your mouth. Don't you dare no man ever say, God is tempting me. Why? Well, because this is not what God wants you to do when you're tempted, okay? And it's also an attack on his character. We'll get to that, Lord willing, next week, okay? But this is simply blame in action is what you're doing. You're blaming sin, not taking responsibility for sin. But you know what? That was the very first sin after the very first sin. Open your Bibles to Genesis 3. Let's take a look at that text. Genesis chapter 3. The very first sin after the very... First sin. Let's take a look, see if we can guess what that is. Genesis chapter 3. And uh, let's take a look at what's going on here. What's that? Yes, he did. And uh, let's take a look at the response when she blew it there. Okay. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. And uh, says this. Uh, verse, uh, 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 let's go verse 10. And he answered, God saying, hey Adam, where are you? Verse 9 there. And verse 10, uh, God, uh, Adam says, uh, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Okay, and this is after they ate of the fruit of the tree they weren't supposed to. And he said, uh, well, God said, who, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Well, right there, that proves that God is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things because he had to ask uh, Adam a question that he didn't know the answer to. No, Have you, you've done this as a parent, right? You know your kid did something wrong. In fact, you even saw him. They didn't see you seeing him, but you saw them. So what do you do when you approach him? Did you grab that cookie from the cookie jar, Billy? This happened one time back in the year. It's hilarious. And he turns around. He's got all this chocolate all around his mouth, man. Crumbles hanging out. Like, no, I don't know it. <laughs> Come on, man. Are you serious? Oh, anyway, so you know the answer. So this is God. He knows. He's just trying to get him to fess up. Okay, is what's going on here. Okay. And the man says, uh, 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 yes, God, absolutely. I take full responsibility for what I did. No, no he didn't say that. Unfortunately. He said, the, the woman, the woman you put here with me, uh, it's her fault, man. She gave me some fruit in the tree and I ate it. And then so God turned to the woman. He said, what is this you've done? And she said, yeah, unlike the guy, I'm going to take responsibility too. And I'm not going to make it worse. I already blew it. No, she didn't say that either. Uh, the serpent is a snake, man. He deceived me and I ate. And then here comes the curse. Okay, so the very first, this shouldn't surprise us that uh, James is saying this, okay, because unfortunately the trend in humanity, the unredeemed, is what do uh, they do with their sin? 
Same thing today, right? They blame their sin, okay? And, and again, this is the very first sin after sin. This is what the unredeemed do. Now, although we Christians can try to blame others once in a while for sin, it's not a way of life, okay? At some point, if we're born again, we're going to cough it up, okay? I believe by and large because the Holy Spirit is going to be working uh, into your heart to do just that. As a born-again Christian, you're going to do something different with your sin, okay? He's going to convict you. Uh, it might take you a little bit of time. Best case scenario, you need to do it immediately. Uh, I've shared before in other studies, I believe, uh, I remember uh, one person came up to me and they were, you know, real spiritual. They said, hey, Pastor Billy, man, I've just really grown uh, leaps and bounds in my walk with Jesus and it's just been awesome and, and I've, been, I've been keeping track of uh, trying to, my best to keep track of all the times I sin during the day and then at night when I get, uh, it, you know, before I go to bed and I pray to God, I, I confess all my sins and I'm going, what? Uh, why didn't you do it when you did it? As you did it? Why you, because first of all, you're probably going to forget them, a lot of them and then what are you doing letting them stack up? I mean, if you offend somebody, even God, then just deal with it right then and there. You sin, you ask for forgiveness. You sin, you ask for forgiveness. You sin, you, right? It, it, but, but again, that's what I think a Christian will do. We might delay it a little bit, but I believe if you're a true born-again Christian, he's going to work in you, and it's going it's to eventually come out. Okay, you are not going to blame others for your sin. You're not going to say, God made me do it. He made me do it. The wife, the snake, whoever. You're going to take responsibility for it. This, again, is what? This is your acid test. Remember the point? That's what he's doing here, okay? Because listen, if you don't own up to your sin and it's always somebody else's fault, we Christians can let things go for a while. But if you never take responsibility for it, uh, are you really even a Christian? This is your second acid test. Because I think that you're going to eventually own up to it like King David did. Open your Bibles to Psalm 51. Awesome uh, prayer that's going on here of responsibility. Psalm 51. Let's take a look there. Psalm 51. If you're hooked on phonics, how would you pronounce that? Psalm. The peace on there. You come by. It's a new one you can share on the road there. Psalm 51. <laughs> Getting all these bonuses today. This is awesome. Uh, Psalm 51, verses 1 through 13. Let's grab the context. Notice David's attitude towards sin. He blew it. Okay? And the Bible says that even though David blew it, he was a man after God's own heart. Okay? David knew he did sin. He wasn't perfect, which is good news for you and I that God can use us in spite of us. Amen? Okay, but David, what we see the, the uh, other example is he didn't blame others. He took responsibility for it. Okay, he went to God with it. Psalm 51, he says this, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. For I know, I'm not blaming nobody. I know it, God. I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Man, I've been reading through uh, uh, in Second Chronicles now in the morning, and and uh, and and uh, just the, the phrase in First Kings, Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, when it goes through the kings, it always says, uh, "In the eyes of the Lord." They talk about the leadership and what they did. They did this or did not in the eyes of the Lord. In the eyes of the Lord. In the eyes of the Lord. God sees everything. Okay, that's enough to keep you straight. Okay, he says, for I know, it says, uh, my transgressions and, and my sins always before me against you and you only have I sinned, done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and you're justified when you judge. Surely God, I was sinful at birth, uh, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts, not blame. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Listen to this, focus on this one. We're gonna, I'm gonna break into it in a little bit. Cleanse me with what? Hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Got to stop there because there's something very important going on. As a born-again Christian today, we are permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit. God will not take the Holy Spirit away from you. This isn't what happened in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. The Spirit of God would light on, if you will, at certain uh, people in certain positions like the prophets, like the kings, and empower them for a special duty. So David had a legitimate fear that God would say, oh yeah, I'll remove my spirit from you. Have fun now. You're not going to have the strength, the wisdom, etc., whatever. And you're on your own, Okay. That was a legitimate issue, but praise God, the new covenant, he permanently indwells us now. 
Okay, as Paul says, he's our deposit, our guarantee of our inheritance. It's uh, the Greek word our bone in the Greek, it literally means engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring and he's making sure, guarantee, that he's with us and we are going to heaven. Okay, major difference. I need to say that because this is, a, this is actually a good song. You, no, I'm not going to sing it because I want you guys to enjoy the rest of your day. But you know that song, Creating Me Clean Hearts, based on this, Psalm 51. It's bad theology though. Take not thy Holy Spirit. He can't. Okay, so be careful what you're saying. All right, anyway, it says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and I will turn sinners back to you. Okay, is what David is saying there. So what we see here is David's attitude towards sin is absolutely serious. He's not playing with this thing, man. He's not rationalizing it. There's no excuses here. He certainly isn't blaming others, and he certainly isn't blaming God for it. He took complete ownership of his sin, right? And he says there, God, if you forgive me, listen, this is how serious he is. He says, in fact, God, if you will forgive me and if you will cleanse me, God, I'm so serious about this. I'm so repentant of what I've done that I will turn and I'm going to tell other people, don't go down that road. Now, that's somebody who's serious about sin, right? Now, if you want to get just how serious he is, you need to focus on another thing going on there. And that's the exciting thing, that, that hyssop thing. How many guys went to the store and bought a box of hyssop? Last week, you know, it cures that cough. You know, that it works better than Robitussin. I tell you, no, it's not what it is. Listen to what it is. Hyssop, and David's using the language here. Let me give you a little culture uh, lesson here. Uh, he's talking about some serious, heavy, heavy, heavy duty scrubbing with, of his sin. I mean, he's literally crying out to God, get this out of me, is what he's saying here. Okay, hyssop uh, had a strong woody stalk. It was kind of firm, could stand up to being uh, shaken. Okay, uh, a, a bunch of hyssop was used to dip in the basin of blood of the Passover lamb and apply it to the, the lentil of the doorpost when the Israelites left Egypt, the Passover, so that they, they dip it in the blood and they put it around their doorpost so that the death angel would pass over, hence Passover, then when they were leaving, Exodus 12. Uh, it was used for the cleansing ceremony for the leper in Leviticus chapter 14. It was used as the dipping agent into blood of a bird to sprinkle over an unclean person. And John 19, we saw that it was used at the crucifixion. Uh, now a vessel uh, full of sour wine was sitting there. They uh, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, that stock thing, it was kind of firm, and then they, they put it up to his mouth, okay? But hyssop uh, was not only this strong uh, stock thing, plant thing that uh, apparently dried out, but hyssop was a common, this is what's cool, it was a common detergent of the day, okay? Usually we skip over this part. Uh, before grocery stores were lined with cleaning pro products of every conceivable need. Did anybody learn that when they first got married? Brandy started coming home with these things I'd never bought in my life. Are you serious? What's this? Well, you got to use this to clean the windows. You got to use this to clean the toilet. Hey, that's optional. You got to use this to clean the counter. You got to use this to clean the stove. You got what? I mean, there was every conceivable, whatever, I digress. But anyway, uh, uh, conceivable need. But this was a detergent, okay? Now, before they had grocery stores, they just relied on what you found out in you know, God's creation, which is kind of making a comeback today, okay? Hyssop was readily available in the Middle East, and because it had detergent properties... Okay, it wasn't just great for sticking stuff on and using this like this. Okay, it was a detergent. And because it had detergent properties, it was used to, listen, clean specifically sacred places such as temples. Okay, to keep them clean. So David, if you put all this together, he's asking not just for forgiveness of sin. He's asking for a deep heart cleansing. And he uses hyssop to symbolize the usage of a common cleaning agent of the day. Right? We'd say, Get, use Windex, God. Spray it on my eyes. I don't want to go there again. God, use Tide on my heart. You know what I'm saying? They Clorox me, God. Get it out of there. Bleach me out. Okay? That would be the common vernacular. Now you get it, right? Do you see how serious he is about sin? He's taking ownership of it. Now, another thing there, we, 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 one, more, one more aspect. Not only the detergent thing, not only the serious scrubbing with this strong stuff thing, okay, is the phrase there, he says, wash me. Now, this one we, we kind of miss over too. Now, washing back in the day uh, is a little bit different than uh, today's washing. You just chuck in that machine, push the button, does its thing. Now, does yours make that noise too? Yeah, you try making a washing noise. You guys got a better one? Yeah, you're looking at me like, well, what's up? Yeah, whatever. Okay, but uh, anyway, so wash me is what's going on there. See, we got it pretty simple. But back in the day, do you know how they washed clothes? By hand, and what'd you do? Well, even pre-scrubbing board. Rocks. You beat them. 
you beat them on rocks or beat them with a club. You beat your club. You got them wet and ring around. And you're beating out the dirt, right? So keep that in mind what David's saying. So David's saying, God, I'm so serious about this sin. Squirt my eyes with the windex and tide and cleanse me. A deep heart cleansing. Now he's saying, God, I'm so serious about this. Wash me. God, beat me. Pound me. Pound it out of me. Beat it out of me. Do what you got to do. Don't just squirt stuff on me. Get it out of me. Beat me. Do what you... Do you see what's going on here? This is serious stuff. David isn't interested. Oh, yeah, God, yeah, God, forgive me. He's not flipping about this. He is truly repentant, and he doesn't want some just quick wash-ups. Yeah, we're done. God, get this. I mean it, God. Just do, beat me, pound me, do whatever you got. Just get this sin out of me. I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? I'll, I'll warn other people from now on, don't ever do this. Don't ever do this. Don't ever walk away from God. Don't do this. Don't sin. Right? That is serious. David is serious about his sin. And of course, just a little side note, are we repentant as Christians like that with our sin? Or are we flippant with it? You know, the term cheap grace. Oh, God will forgive. Oh, it's no big deal. When's the last time we wept when we confessed our sin to God? This is what David does, okay? This is the difference. Here's what's the, what's the whole point of bringing this up. This is the difference between the redeemed and the unredeemed. And this is what James, this is the next acid test. What do you do with temptation? What do you do with sin? Do you blame other people or do you take responsibility for it? John says this in 1 John chapter 1. He said, this is the message that we have heard from him, God, and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we got fellowship with one another, okay? We're a true Christian, and the praise God, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You're fake. But if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, listen, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What's he saying? If you say, I got no sin, if you refuse to confess your sin, what's he saying? You're not walking with God. Okay? The word that's used there, uh, confess, is... Uh, Hamalageo, okay, Hamas meaning the same, as in like Hamas sexual, the same, you know, instead of hetero, heteros, different. Hamas, legeo, uh, same word, legeo, word, okay, is what's going on there. So he's saying that here's your attitude as a Christian about sin. You're saying the same word. You're saying the same thing that God's saying about it. It's sin. He, know, he saw it. He saw you eating out of the cookie jar. He can see the crumbs around your face. Right? You need to own up to it and say, yeah, God, you got me. It's, I agree with you. I'm not, no excuse, no nothing. Okay, I own up to this thing. Okay, if God's light is within you, is the passage here, you are going to say the same thing about your sin that God says. That it is sin. It is wrong. It's your fault. No excuses. No blaming. You own up to it. Jane, or John also says here, but if you don't, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. I don't care what you say. You sit there and say you're a born-again Christian, but you never take responsibility for sin. You don't own up to your sin. You never confess your sin. There's a problem there. You're failing the test. True Christians don't do that. Now, again, i got a caveat. Does it ever mean that we Christians, oh, we're always like, you know, and all due respect to the guy that came up to me that he was stacking them up, waiting until at night. Praise God he was doing that. How many of us go days and don't ever confess sin? All right, so I'm not just here to belittle that guy. But I'm saying that I think the point that God wants to bring us to is just like in a normal relationship, when you offend somebody, what do you do? Your heart hurts, man. You want to go towards reconciliation. I can't take this anymore. And you say, okay, man, we got we to work this out. I don't care if it's a knockdown drag out. We got to work this out. Right? That's the healthy aspect of a Christian. But how far can, and again, as we saw before, with, with the same thing with trials, how far can you go? How long can you let this go on? Because we Christians can blow it. Even in this area. But how far can you go and let this go on and on and on? Not just with trials and how you react to that. But now with temptation. And maybe you aren't a Christian. I'm not here to cast down. James is here to get you to pass the test. 
Okay, and this is what's going on. If you say otherwise and you just keep blaming others uh, for your sin, you're, uh, the scripture would say you're fake, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. Okay, this is the next acid test that we're going to get into. How do you deal with temptation? Your attitude towards temptation. What do you do when you're tempted? Uh, what do you do when you blow it and you give in to temptation? Where do you go with all that stuff? Okay, one guy says this. It is normal for the unredeemed not to accept blame for their own sinfulness. When they are tempted and fall into sin, it is typical for them to put the blame somewhere else. Children come into the world refusing to take responsibility for their behavior. The first time you reprimand your little child for something, what's their initial knee-jerk response? I didn't do it. It's not my fault. They did it. You don't understand. Right? He said accepting full responsibility for weakness and temptation is not something that men do very well. Children shirk their guilt for their own wrong. And when they grow up to be adults, they pretty much do the same thing. And this passage, James is saying, how you respond to temptation is where you put the blame. And where you put the blame is another indicator of the genuineness of your saving faith or the lack of it, is what he's talking about. Okay? And not, really how, uh, not realizing uh, this acid test, I would say even in the church, okay, and how to handle it uh, has led to those, I think, things that are rampant in the church today. What's called cheap grace. Oh, God doesn't mind. No, oh, he'll forgive. No big deal. You know what I'm saying? He loves me. Okay. It's also led to what's called the gushy gospel. Or you walk down the aisle. Okay. And there's no mention of sin. There's no mention of repentance. There's no mention of that. It's just come and just, you know, ask Jesus to uh, just receive his love. There's no talk of the cross. There's no talk of owning up to your sin. There's no realizing the predicament you're in apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. That you are separated from God right now, headed straight to hell. And unless something changes, you're in a heap of trouble. There's no talk of sin. There's no ownership of sin. And when we don't realize what James is saying, he listen, pay attention how people, and dare I say even from the pulpit, deal with sin or temptation and ownership of it. It's led to what we see is in the church today. Cheap grace, gushy gospel, okay. And it not only uh, has flooded the church with, I would say, a lot of phony, baloney believers. Because what did they come forward for? Coming forward doesn't save you. Right? You need to own up to your sin. Acknowledge that you're separated from God. Cast your souls on the mercy of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And God will save you forevermore. Amen? And, but if that's not what they're coming for, guess what? They just left still a non-Christian. But they've been coming here 20 years. I don't care how long they've been coming. Has there ever come a time when they've truly bowed a knee before Jesus Christ? Acknowledge their sin and their sinful state that they are headed straight to hell because of what they did. No excuses, no blaming anybody else. They own up to it like David and said, Oh God, please forgive me. Get this out of me. Beat me, pound me. Do whatever you got to do. My sin is always before me. Please cleanse me and make me whole. Right? You do that, it's a different story. Okay, but let's continue on. James says, listen, I don't care how long you go to a church service. I don't care if you walk the aisle. You better pay attention, church, to how people not only handle their trials, you better pay attention to how they deal with temptation, i.e. sin. Are they flipping about it? Could they care less about it? Uh, do they blame others for it? If so, they're probably fake. I don't care if you walk the aisle 500 times. And listen, what's the whole point of this passage? The church is going out, and these people are probably in the church, but now these people got a flipping attitude towards sin. And so what's James, that's the last thing you want. Because that's at the bare bones uh, foundation of the gospel. You have to deal with sin to get saved. Right? But if you never talk about that's so no wonder he puts this second acid test out there. I don't want a bunch of people going out there preaching cheap grace. Or a gushy gospel, which is not the gospel. I don't want people out there saying, you just got to receive the love of Jesus. Because that's not the gospel. That's not all of it. You got to deal with sin first. So he puts this out. Pay attention to these folks. Not only do they walk away from Jesus in their trials. Those are fake. Very well could be. But what's their attitude towards sin? What's their attitude towards temptation? Pay attention to that too, church. Because maybe they made it through the trial and they're still there. But they got a really bad attitude towards sin. Okay. Um, red flag. Red flag. Okay, it's what he's talking about there. Okay. How do they treat sin? What's their attitude? That tells the story. Now, to make matters worse, I think another reason why it's so rampant today this flippant attitude towards sin, is because we all know, as we just read, uh, Genesis chapter 3, the first sin after the very first sin is blame. And so we have a natural tendency to want to blame, not take responsibility for it, just like Adam and Eve. Okay? Now, that's bad enough that we've got to deal with that, but now our society comes in and is encouraging that and saying that that's the route you need to go for true freedom and happiness in life. 
And the first thing that the society has trained us to do, not uh, own up to our sin, uh, the first thing is to excuse our sin. Okay, to excuse our sin. They say it's not your fault. This is the lie of secular psychology. You see, it's not your fault. Right? You don't need to own up to this. You know what I'm saying? Because your biggest mandate, everything that, every day you get up, is you just got to love yourself. You got to love yourself more than anybody, uh, even more than God, because that's the way to have a happy life. Excuse me? That's not what the scripture says. We'll get to that in a second, Lord willing. Okay, no. But they say that, uh, and so when you sin, what you need to do is you need to realize that it wasn't your fault. So you can go continue to feel good about yourself. You know, blame shifting is what it's called. And, and, and you know, because we all know it wasn't your fault. It was your parents. This is secular psychology. This is what they teach people to do in dealing with their sin. Blame. It was your parents' fault. It was the way you were raised. No, no, it's not your fault. Uh, it was your school. You know, if you had better circumstances, or if it wasn't for those people at school, your teachers, your fellow classmates, somebody else, it, it, was, it was those people. No, it's not your fault that, you're in that you made that decision. and you. No, 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 it's not you. It's just, it's just the way you were brought up, or your circumstances, or your environment, or your econ economic status. You know, it, it was anything and everything, but it's not your fault. That's pop secular psychology, okay, is what they're getting to do, okay? And, uh, but again, uh, that's not what the scripture says. Let me read to you just a few passages. That tells just the contrary uh, to that. Okay, the Bible doesn't say keep on feeling good about yourself and blame others for your sin. It says you need to own up to it and loathe it. That's a word you don't hear, loathe. Okay, listen to this. Exodus 20, verse 43. I'm going to give you Old and New Testament so people can't say, well, that's just the Old Testament. You know, God's, he's more great. All right, Exodus 20, verse 43. There you will remember your conduct and all the actions by which you have defiled yourselves. You will loathe yourselves for all the evil you have done. Ah. Uh, Romans chapter 7 verse 18 and 24 I know Paul says that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature what a wretched man I am who's going to rescue me from this body of death ah. are you starting to see the seriousness here that's going on just one second uh, the seriousness here going on uh, with uh, uh, Paul he's serious about his sin just like with uh, David now notice the term they're wretched I brought this up before uh, they're now in speaking of songs they're actually rewriting a lot of the Christian classics to get rid of verbiage that might convict us. Okay? One of them is this passage right here. What a wretched man I am. That's an amazing grace. That saved a red, what? wretch like me. They're changing it to now person. That saved a person like me. Because if I were to sing and pronounce a wretched, that, that damages my self-esteem. You see how far it's gotten? Yeah, quick, real quick. Exodus chapter 20, verse 43, I believe it was. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll, 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 I'll get that corrected later. So anyway, I did a little typo. Ezekiel 36, verse 31 through 32 says, Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves, loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. Okay. Uh, Job 42, he says this after he started to question God. What are you doing? He says, I despise myself. Job 42, verse 6. I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What? And Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. Okay, that's quite a bit different. Okay, and this doesn't even take into account all the different times in the scripture where this exciting word uh, is uh, dealt with and it's called what? Repent. Metanoia, aftermind. It means you were going this way, I'm going this way. Okay, repent of your sins. Okay, God says, here's what you need to do with your sins. You need to turn from it. You need to loathe it. You need to hate it. Don't go back there. But what does our society say? Oh, no, you need to love it. You need to blame others for it. Make a big fat excuse and don't worry about it. And we wonder why things are so messed up. And we wonder why things are so messed up even in the church today. Okay, because there's a lot of phony believers. Well, yeah, if you listen to society, you never deal with your sin. Okay. Again, the good news is, if you own up to it, what's the Bible say? If you do confess your sin, right? He's faithful, he's just, he will forgive you of your sin. Okay? And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the great news. But these are the people who don't own up to it. They're not troubled by their sin. They could give a rip about their sin. In fact, they know that they sin, but they will find somebody else to blame for it. 
Okay, that's a problem. The second thing is that what society does is not excuse it. They want us to redefine it, okay? Uh, redefine uh, their sin, okay? Let me read to you this quote. This guy says this, What our founding fathers referred to as drunkenness because of their Christian heritage, we just now call alcoholism, and we deem it a social disease rather than a sin. What the law, the Bible, called sodomy, we now call an alternative lifestyle. Uh, pornography is a perversion that brings death to a nation, but we now just call it adult entertainment. Uh, what our founding fathers called immorality, we now just call the new morality. What the law called adultery or fornication, we now call stepping out or fooling around. And what the law called abhorrent social behavior like stealing or filthy language, we now just call abnormal social development or anti-social behavior. And by the way, here's a pill. They give us pills for our sins. Instead of getting us to own up to our sin. I don't know, I got a theory and it goes something like this. I don't care how many different ways we try to redefine sin and call it something else. How many guys would say that God is not going to change his mind on sin? Just because we redefined it. Hello, Billy. Did you eat those cookies out of that cookie jar? I'm sorry, Dad. This is just abnormal social development. Oh, okay. Here's a pill, son. <laughs> exactly. God's the one who makes up the rules, okay? Just because you relabel sin doesn't take away that it's sin, okay? The third thing, and this is what we'll close with, uh, is now they've gone, you excuse it, re you redefine it, but maybe it's one of those things that you... It was pretty bad what you did, okay? But now it's really not your fault because you're a victim, right? You're a victim. Don't, don't own up to this. You're a victim. It's called victim mentality, okay? And believe it or not, it's gotten so mad, folks, that our society is encouraging people uh, to blame others for their sin is that people are not saying, no, no, I don't need to own up to this. Uh, I'm going to excuse it. I'm going to redefine it. And believe it or not, they're cashing in on it because they're a victim, this is how bad it's gotten in our society. Again, remember they took out prayer. They took out Bible reading uh, in our schools, in our courtrooms. Okay? And uh, as if the Ten Commandments were bad. You know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. Oh, that's horrible. To remind people of that. <laughs> but you take that away and then train people to not own up to sin. And this is what you get. Okay? True story. Several of them here. A man who was shot and paralyzed while committing a burglary in New York. That's sin, right? recovered damages from the store owner who shot him. His attorney told a jury that the man was, first of all, a victim of society because he was driven to crime by economic disadvantages. Now, the lawyer said he's a victim of the insensitivity of the man who shot him. And because of that man's callous disregard of the thief's plight as a victim, the poor criminal will be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Therefore, he deserves, the lawyer argues, compensation. Believe it or not, the jury agreed... And the, so the store owner who was getting robbed had to pay a large settlement to this guy who robbed his store. And several months later, the same man, still in his wheelchair, was arrested while committing another armed robbery. But it's not his fault. They excuse it, redefine it. I'm just a victim. Here's another one. After mugging and brutally beating an elderly New York man, another one in New York. Anybody love Vegas? <laughs> elderly man in New York. Uh, he brutally beat this guy, mugged him in New York subway. Bernard Cummings was shot while fleeing the scene. He's permanently para paralyzed, but he sued and he won, listen, $4.8 million in compensation from the New York Transit Authority. The man he mugged, he's a cancer patient. He's still paying his doctor bills. But McCummings, the mugger, whom the courts deemed the greater victim, he's now a multimillionaire. Wow. Give me a couple more. Uh, in two separate cases in England, a barmaid who stabbed another woman to death, killed her in a barroom brawl, uh, and another woman who angrily drove her car into her lover, okay, and killed him, were both acquitted of murder because they claimed acute PMS hampered their thinking and caused them to act in ways they could not control. And in these cases, both of them for murder receive therapy rather than punishment for PMS. Now, I like what one guy said this. Come on now. If ladies can have P, uh, PMS, can't guys have ESPN? That's pretty profound. 
Okay, but seriously, man, I don't care what you call it, PMS, whatever, excuse me? And you get no punishment for murder? Murder? Because you're a victim of... Wow, one more. Uh, the, a San Francisco city supervisor murdered a fellow supervisor, Mayor George Moscone, but claimed it was, listen, it was because of too much junk food, especially, not making this up, Hostess Twinkies, that made him act irrationally. Thus, the famous Twinkie defense was born. It's because of this case. A lenient jury bought the line and produced a verdict of voluntary manslaughter rather than murder. They ruled that the junk food resulted in, quote, diminished mental capacity, which mitigated the killer's guilt. He was out of prison before the mayor's next term would have been complete for murder because of Twinkies. Maybe that's why Hostess went out of business. I don't know. <laughs> what? Here's the point, folks. I don't care if you call it a PMS problem, a Twinkie problem. I don't care. Guess what? Neither does God. God says sin is sin and it still needs to be punished. It needs to be repented of. And as goofy as this is, folks, this is even happening in the church today. You know one of the biggest challenges in church today that I've learned in 20 years of ministry? It's enforcing discipline in the church. Getting people to deal biblically with sin. And I'm talking even born-again Christians. The Bible tells you how you're supposed to deal with it. If somebody offends you, what do you do? Matthew 18, you go to that person. Work it out. Well, you stop right there because that didn't work. No. And if that doesn't work, then what happens is you need to go get somebody else who's a mediator and you work it out. Well, what if that doesn't work? Then you go to the church leadership and you all get together and you work it out. Okay? God wants reconciliation. God's all about that. But he has a methodology. It's clear in the scripture how to deal with sin. Not blame, not redefine, not say, I'm a victim of this. And do nothing. Bad behavior continues in a church because bad behavior is allowed to continue in the church. You need to bring discipline. Right? Just like in a family. Okay? Is what's going on there. You've got to deal with the sin issue. In fact, the Bible even says there's some times when you need to kick somebody out of the church. Did you know that? Titus chapter 3 verse 10 says if a person's being divisive in the church, you warn them one time, you warn them a second time, the third time, hit the road. Why? Because read the next verse there in 9 and 10. It talks about that such a person because they didn't want to listen to three warnings. God's got a three strikes policy. Didn't say you weren't saved. But if you're going to stick around in his church and cause problem, you need to get out. Until you are repentant of your sin, then we can meet and discuss if it's true and genuine. Then, of course, bring it back into the fold, but not until then. He says, if you continue to not do that, that person is sinful. You can be sure of, he says, that person is sinful, warped, and conceited. It's self-condemned. You are doing it yourself. There's no, you can sit here and blame, you can't do it. It's your fault. No, it's not. It's your fault. You're the one. Who would not repent of your sin. Churches don't want to deal with sin. People don't want to deal with sin. And how appropriate is it that uh, James brings us back now to this next acid test. As we're supposed to go out into the world to share Jesus. The last thing we want is that for a bunch of Christians. Who responded to, a, excuse me, a bunch of people who responded to a gushy gospel. Not the real gospel, but are going to church services and going out there and giving this impression, well, all you got to do is just acknowledge that Jesus loves you. That's not what God wants. Sin's got to be mentioned somewhere. Hello. Okay? You got to own up to it. You can't excuse it. You can't redefine it. And you're not a victim of it. Just like, David, get this thing out of me. We'll close with this. One guy says this, like the drunk who goes out and wrecks his car and kills somebody in the process and blames his wife for an unhappy union an unhappy marriage, or blames his business for driving him to drink, or blames pressure and feels excused for any uh, real guilt. So it is that men blame others for their inner passions. And James says, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare say that you're a Christian and blame other people for your sin. Remember what was that first phrase there? He was very open. He says, let no man, very extremely loud. Let no man say when he's being tempted, literally being solicited to sin, don't you ever say this is a Christian. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. They made me do it. He made me do it. She made me do it. Society, I'm just a bit. Worse yet, we'll see next week. God made me do it. Now that's freaky. And we'll get to that one next week. We need to demonstrate as a Christian, we are concerned about sin. Not saying that we won't ever sin. But we certainly don't blame it. 
We don't excuse it. We don't redefine it. We don't say I'm a victim of it. We take action on it. We own up to it. We confess. We say the same thing that God says about it. God, it's my fault. This is sin, no excuses. In fact, like King David, God, get rid of this thing. Get this out of me. Cleanse me with hyssop. Do what it takes. God, beat me, pound me. I don't care. Get this dirty filthiness away from me. God, ah! Why? Because if that really is your attitude, I'd say that's a pretty good indicator that you're a born-again Christian. Because born-again Christians are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and you're concerned about sin and sin bugs you. And that's very important. Again, not just for us in our walk with Jesus, but it's very important when we go out there and tell other people about Jesus that we tell them that you need to deal with sin and come to the cross, not the other way around. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has... Uh, slammed his gavel and they were ushered off into their jail cell 
And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, They certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.